following program is produced by the Align in the Sound team. If you like what you hear, please stick around at the end of the show. To find out more, contact us and contribute towards a positive future. We're in the Rex Hotel here in Canberra. It's uh, it's Wednesday, leading up to uh, leading up to a, a forest climate forum on Saturday, uh, and uh, I'm in the room of uh, Jane Salmon. We're joined by Mike Thompson. Uh, Mike, you've been organising this uh, forest and climate forum. What uh, what brought this on? Well, really, we we had a, a pre-run last year where we got regional people together from different parts of Australia and we had an event in, in Batemans Bay. It was very successful, we expected about 60, we had 150 turn up and uh, they found it so valuable they thought well why don't we bring it to Canberra, bring it to where the decisions are made, where the experts are at ANU, where the media is more accessible. So the environment groups uh, asked me if I'd facilitate it and that's what I've done. Fantastic, fantastic. So uh, what, what's the focus? Is it uh, just a local sort of Bermagui conference? Or? <laughs> no, certainly not. It's, it's, uh, it's really looking at the national perspective. And uh, I guess the national perspective is probably is most at focus right now in Tasmania, where you have uh, an example there where uh, the old growth logging, the uh, collapse of the industry and guns, and bring on top of that the, the climate change pressures on all the species, but most of all, the carbon debate. You know, now that we have a price on carbon, everybody knows that leaving those trees standing is worth hundreds of millions of dollars. It's just nonsense to be continuing to logging and wood chipping at our expense, by the way. We're losing money doing this. Mm, so mm. It's, uh, I guess it's climate change and carbon accounting that's brought this whole thing to a head. Yeah, true. Now, uh, Jane Salmon, can you introduce yourself? Well, hi. Um, yeah, been around the forests for a while. Um, what's really nice about the conference is that it's going to take on all the science and the biodiversity issues, but it's not just for the converted and it's not just a post-mortem of the industry. It's about our future on the mainland, what we can learn from Tassie, what we can learn from the scientists and the economists and it's about directions as well as um, airing the issues, ventilating the, the stuff that never gets out like the fact that a bushfire is really a symptom of logging rather than caused by leaving old growth standing. Can you, uh, can you flesh that out a little bit? What's the well, concept Mike there? knows more about that. Well, what we're seeing is that there's now evidence. This is the, the theme of their morning session is to put evidence on the table, dispassionate evidence on the table. And one of those pieces of evidence, if you think about it, it's quite logical. You have a moist, old-growth forest, a full canopy. You start logging it. You open up the canopy. The sunshine comes in. It starts to dry out the ecosystem. And so you make a forest which was once a dry sclerophyll or gum forest into a, you know, sorry, that was once wet into a dry sclerophyll forest. In other words, we're making these ancient forests that did know how to protect themselves into much more fire-prone forests through the logging operations that are drying them out. Now, that is something that's now being scientifically documented in some papers that are going to be talked about at this conference. 
Um, and it has significant implications. For example, a lot of the research has been done in the central highlands of Victoria, the scene of those horrific Victorian bushfires. And there's clear evidence now that those landscapes have been gradually being changed through logging and drying out, which has made them much more fire prone and much more dangerous in a climate change scenario that we're going into. So apart from David Lindemeyer, who's quite famous on that issue, um, who have you got? Well, we've got Chris Taylor, who's a, a senior lecturer at Melbourne University, and he's going to be putting down some evidence that, that he's accumulated. He's done a lot of mapping. Um, and also he's working on a project with uh, Beyond Zero Emissions. And for example, with the carbon accounting science that's coming out of the international programs, they can actually measure the logging and the burning that goes on, the emissions that it generates, for example. Take the Eden Woodchip Mill here, which draws enormous amounts of uh, forestry operations, degradation and logging and wood chipping from Gippsland and also from southeastern New South Wales. They estimate that the emissions that come from that operation just to feed the Eden Woodchip Mill are about 3% of Australia's emissions. Now that makes it equivalent to the dirtiest coal-fired power station in Australia. People that need to take this stuff seriously. The closing down the Eden Woodchip Mill makes as much sense as closing down the Hazelwood power station. So that's an economic argument. And um, you've got economists as well as scientists coming. What, what scientists have you got? Well, by the way, it's not just an economic argument. It's an environmental argument, isn't it? There's, a, there's pollution that could be so easily stopped. This is the most cost-effective thing we could do. This is not a huge industry that has to be paid off for billions of dollars. This is a foolish enterprise that's currently losing money we could stop. So it's probably the most cost-effective thing Australia could do in terms of climate action is to simply stop that wasteful logging and wood chipping of the native forests, which the governments fully own. They're in state forests. Well, people love biodiversity and they love forests. Who is it that's not getting it? Well, I think the communications has, has been one of the problems. It's out of sight, out of mind. You talk, talk to people in Sydney and Melbourne and, and, and Canberra, they don't really understand what's going on. The massive scale of these operations these days with heavily mechanised machinery virtually clear-felling these areas uh, so that they will never, those landscapes will dry out and they will never be what they were before. They're becoming virtual plantations. And yet the community has not really been consulted on that. They're not aware of it. There's been no social licence for this. Yeah, I was out um, at Easter in Badger State Forest with South East Forest Rescue and we did, a, uh, we did a tour of one of the recently logged compartments up there and apparently it's, it's, they aim to take out 50% of the canopy cover and are allowed to go up to 70% of the canopy cover. So you can imagine with, uh, with passive solar design, a, a one metre squared window lets in one kilowatt of energy every hour, I think it is. So... Yeah, you can imagine the extra drying force there. It's, it's, it's heavy duty from your little one kilowatt bar radiator in your bathroom, but imagine heaps of them. That's right, and it's, it's even worse than that, isn't it? Because that heat that's now going straight into the ground and drying out the ecosystem used to go into those wonderful solar panels called, called green leaves, right, that were generating the carbon and creating the oxygen. 
They're the, I mean, it's these forests that created that beautiful, fragile atmosphere that the Earth lives in. Um, so protecting them is so obvious as something we should be doing, and yet we're not doing it. Mm, so um, I mean, burning living trees is, is really the same end result as burning dead trees, which are now coal. Yep. When, uh, when trees do draw in carbon, um, what happens to that carbon? Where is it stored? Is it, is it in the wood, in the soil? Well, both, yeah. Um, it's, it's stored in, the, in the, the leaves, the branches, the trunks of the tree. It's almost um, it's obvious, isn't it? I mean, why are we saying that Australia... Does it surprise us that scientists have proven that Australia's are the most carbon-dense forests in the world? Why do you think we call them hardwoods instead of softwoods? Why are they hard? Because they're much more dense in terms of carbon. So there are some intuitively uh, obvious facts that are now being laid out scientifically, but really we've got no excuse for not protecting what is already there. And that carbon, as you say, goes into the soils. Half the carbon is under the, under the, under the ground, all the root systems, etc. And it's not just carbon. It's the whole life systems, all the biodiversity, all the, all the funguses, all the, all the ecosystems that are unique to Australia that we're gradually destroying. And for what good reason? Well, one of your coups is getting uh, Pep Canadell, Dr Pep Canadell from CSIRO, to come along. Could you tell us about him? Yes, uh, I guess the, the CSIRO, ANU Australia really has got some of the, the leading centres in terms of forest carbon science, coming up with the measurement systems that go into this carbon accounting. Um, I guess one of the reasons for that is Australia is a developed country. It has the science, it has the money, it has the expertise, but it also has ancient old forests. Most of the developed country world logged their, their ecosystems 600 years ago. So when you go to Europe and most of North America, you don't have that old forest ecosystem with its density of carbon to study that we have in Australia. So we have become, many Australians have become leaders in forest carbon accounting systems and they're working internationally in that through the IPCC and these climate change committees. And Professor Brendan Mackey is probably the best example of that at the Australian National University. He was one of the uh, authorities behind the science that was published recently in the uh, Australian Climate Commission's report which is really the facts on the table, that the science that underpins these strategies that we're proposing for forests as part of a, an integral part of the climate action plans that Australia should be doing. Mm. Now, um, you've mentioned that the, uh, some, a lot of the carbon goes into the, into the soil and into the roots and stuff. And uh, Am I right in thinking that a carbon-rich soil is also quite good at storing water? Oh, absolutely correct. Yeah, good, very good point, Scotty. I mean, it, it's... That's why the old forests are moist. That's why the old forests sustain fresh flows of water into our streams and creeks, which, of course, supports all of the other ecosystems and human beings. So, yes, that drying out process is, is losing the water. It's water protection that's one of the major benefits. Um, Professor Brendan Mackey talks about ecosystem services that are provided by our forests. And... It's estimated that 90% of the water supplies for the people in Australia come from the forests in the mountains. If you think about it, the Great Eastern Ranges, for example, all of that western flowing water ends up in the Murray-Darling Basin. It's that clean, moist source uh, of big systems like the Murray-Darling Basin. And, of course, our big cities, 
on the coastal areas are also protected by forests. It's their water supplies that have been really sustained by the forest systems behind them in the past. Mm, and I, I recall from somewhere back in the past that the, uh, the rabbit-proof fence in WA was, was cleared on one side and not cleared on the other and they get more rain on the, on the treed side. Do you know anything much about that sort of... I don't know a lot about that, but it's pretty obvious, isn't it? When you look at anecdotal evidence like that, there's so much we don't understand. And to be uh, certainly moisture, if you've... I used to used to have an open-top sports car, and just driving down here through the Monaro, uh, when you feel yourself go into the forests, for, you can feel the moisture, you can feel the richness in the oxygen that, that greets you as you go through those forest areas. Yeah, there's no doubt. And of course, it's scientifically proven that that cycle of moisture and condensation and rainfall is tied up with that cycle with the forest. You lose the forest, you lose that rainfall. And that's, a, that's an act of madness in the time of climate change. Mm, certainly, certainly. The, um, the forests also um, have a little bit to do with the, uh, the, the biodiversity around the place. Can you flesh that out a little bit? <laughs> well, I, I think the forests and terrestrial biodiversity are what the oceans and the, and the, the uh, coral reefs are to the marine biodiversity. If you think about it, it's the forests where most of the species evolve. It's, uh, it's the forests where most of the unique species exist. So the richness of biodiversity is almost in proportion to the, uh, the coverage that you have in native vegetation and forestry. Mm -hmm. So the, the, the richest biodiversity and the richest ecosystems we have are in our most forested areas. And those are the things that are unique to Australia, the unique species of gum trees, the ecosystems that go with them, those beautiful gliders and owls, etc., that are unique to our forest ecosystems. Right. Now, are they actually any good for anything rather than sort of going and having a hippie gawk at them and maybe setting <laughs> up some sort of uh, tourist venture? Well, some sort of tourist venture shouldn't be sneezed at, could it? I mean, that's probably the biggest industry in the world. And I can assure you, people are not going to come from Japan and Germany and, and China to see a forest that's like the ones all around the rest of the world, something that's been thinned out and dried out and looks like a plantation. They're going to come and see something that's unique and it's unique, moist, old-growth forests like the ones we're trying to protect in Tasmania, like the ones we're trying to protect in Gippsland and southeast New South Wales. That's what tourists come to see, something that's unique to any part of the world. And the more we log them, the more ordinary they become. And that's really the future. Future generations are going to depend on that kind of asset to build their careers and build their jobs in tourism. I can give you a great example of that is... We are fortunate enough here. I mean, Canberra is wonderfully located, isn't it? I mean, talk about the bush capital. The south coast really owns, belongs to the people. Don't tell them down the coast, but the people <laughs> of Canberra <laughs> really have a feeling of ownership and custodianship for those forests. And if, if the more they understand about what's going on there, the more they get involved. And, for example, we have a wonderful situation where we handed over many years over time, we handed over a couple of national parks to be managed by Aboriginal people, Gulaga and Bayamunga. Now those are majority managed by the traditional Aboriginal owners. This is around Bermagui. And those people are developing a plan of management. They're looking for careers for the next generation of Aboriginal family kids. And tourism is probably the biggest opportunity they have. Now if you marry unique forest ecosystems that can't be foreign anywhere in the world, 
with an ancient culture of Australian Indigenous people. That's the most powerful tourist attraction you can have. It's an enormous opportunity. And yet for us to be thinning out those landscapes right now, destroying koala habitat, making rich, unique forests into ordinary, thinned out, more like plantations for us is really an act of madness. Mm. And it's an act of irresponsibility. I mean, one of the problems we have is that through bureaucratic accidents almost, but really without thinking it through, we've created an agency, our state forest agency, which is only paid to log. It doesn't get any income from, from protecting the water supply or protecting the biodiversity, or enhancing the tourism industry that comes from those towns around there. It only gets paid for sending logs to the wood chip mill or the timber mill. Now, Money for nothing and your chips for free, as, <laughs> as Naomi Edwards was saying, because she and Ajani are invited to this conference too as economists. And as economists, they're looking at the way, basically, the forest industry is belly aching all the way to the bank and they've already made an adjustment to plantations down in Tassie and whether or not that's a template for the mainland is to be discussed at the conference. But um, not only have they been in this sea of red down there and on the mainland, but they've basically been paid retrospectively by the agreement for moving to plantations where the money is. So it's a bit ironic. I mean, the reality is 80% of the timber supply in Australia is already coming from plantations. It's only this remnant uh, dinosaur industry that's trying to hold on to their old native forest logging, which they know is unsustainable. We're just losing the last of our large old, old trees and ecosystems well, so they can eke out a few more years of income, which they know is going to end. The tragedy will be if they financially, the end of the logging happens after we've lost all of these beautiful ecosystems. Why don't we stop earlier and we can have the best of both worlds? We can transfer into a more sustainable plantation supply and we can keep these unique forest ecosystems and their tourism potential, etc. Hmm. What's your view on, now, on use of the forest at all? Say if... Um if the, uh, the the chip mill, which of course is the uh, the largest sort of monster in the room that's munching up forests and sawmill mills and <laughs> everything else in its path, if that was gone, oh. do, can you see a future of um, of use for the wood in the forest? Or uh, that's a very good point, Scott. I mean, uh, the growth of the the wood chip volume has been matched by a decline in the saw log opportunities. These towns that used to have sawmills only 10 years ago when they negotiated the Regional Forest Agreement, for example, the Aboriginal land councils were told that they could keep jobs in their local towns if they went along with this regional forest plan. And yet the end result now, some of those same areas they have found recently 93% of the logs go straight to the wood chip mill. Even the trucks have got Victorian number plates. There's no local jobs in that. There's very little money for the, for the region in that. It doesn't make sense, really. Well, it's one of the most mechanised industries around, actually, isn't it? I mean, yeah. when I was enjoying being locked on <laughs> in peace and quiet, you can, know, you could you watch those what, machines. Can yeah. you just explain what locking on might be for those of us in the audience who don't know? And you'd never know. <laughs> no, I'm, uh, I'm actually a cancer patient. And uh, 
uh, at the end of chemo and radio, I thought, well, what do I really care about in life? And um, this isn't supposed to be about me. It's supposed to be about this forum. But obviously the forum ties into this. The reason I'm here in Canberra for the forum is the same reason I locked on. The forum is a very um, legitimate, legal expression of um, an, an exchange of information. Information which has by many means been suppressed. And unfortunately, um, government was very sloppy about logging at Mumbler, for example. Um, and Forests New South Wales has been um, breaching all kinds of legislation that is intended to protect the environment, or it's been overridden by the RFAs. So um, my concern about this was expressed by locking on, as many other people have done. Um, there's almost a production line of people that have done this. And being a Sydney housewife with two young kids, I thought it would maybe make a change. Um, it certainly was a lovely day out for me. Uh, there were cockatoos, there were ants. Um, there was also a logging truck and a bulldozer and a machine that just grabs a tree, uproots it, snips it like it's a daisy, and strips it. And those machines are extraordinary. I mean, there's not a lot of labour there, <laughs> you know, in, in doing that and throwing away the husk. Um, it, it's a disaster. And so locking on for me was an opportunity to raise the issue, to discuss the issue um, in a legal sense, and also perhaps to stall um, until Forest New South Wales came to their senses. Um, unfortunately, it gets cold. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> I think that, uh, you know, that little story from Jane, from an activist perspective, uh, this is called a forum this weekend, and that's because we're bringing together, we have, we have activists with stories from Tasmania, from, from Gippsland, from, from New South Wales on the north and the south coast. We have economists showing that it doesn't make sense in terms of dollars and cents. We have lawyers talking about the breaches that are going on. In other words, these are illegal operations. This is a sea shepherd situation where people can <laughs> genuinely say, I'm locking on because I'm, you're not doing the job of protecting the forests which our environmental laws are supposed to be doing. There is a, there's a moral justification for, for a sea shepherd type operation in the forest because of the way things are going. And then fundamentally, of course, we have the scientists talking about the biodiversity, talking about the water and the new science of forest carbon, and the, which is going to accounting systems. So now that we're talking about $23 a tonne, hey, leaving them standing is worth hundreds of millions of dollars. Why would on earth would we lose public money by letting them be logged and wood chipped? It mm -hmm. makes no sense. Do you know how forests stand in the new, uh, the new sort of uh, carbon pricing sort of scheme? Any idea? Well, it's a, it's a very good question because uh, who owns those standing trees? Uh, therefore, who owns the value, very valuable carbon? Of course, the answer to that is the people of that state that owns the state forests. 
So, but it hasn't really been, and yet we have these agencies who've got contracts who get money from sending all these logs to the wood chip mill and that pays their wages. So at the moment we have a conflict, the public interest is not being addressed by the narrow interests of those in the old regime who are continuing sending, wasting our forests by sending them to wood chip mills to become toilet paper in Japan where it'll be back in the atmosphere in three years' time. According to the science, that's typically how long paper systems that end up pre predominantly in landfill systems and end up being methane gases and back into the, become part of the problem. It's where they should have been left there and been part of the solution. If we switch to plantation timber, you could still have toilet paper, yeah? There's, there's almost nothing that we get from our old-growth native forests that we couldn't get from plantations. Absolutely correct. What I find confusing about the carbon tax system is this carbon farming initiative where we pay farmers to grow trees to be logged and we call that good for the environment and even boosting carbon levels, which isn't quite the case, is it? Well, that's, a, that's one of the big issues we're addressing at this forum. Um, Everybody wants to make a quid out of this as part of the problem. But and it's not coherent? Growing, well, grow, for example, if you look at the forestry operations in Tasmania, which has been scientifically studied, and that'll be one of the case studies tomorrow, where the logging operations there generate a pulse of enormous emissions. And, then, and, and that's immediate. So when we talk about this critical decade, how we have to address the climate, how we have to protect our atmosphere now, it's our responsibility to do it in this 10-year period. That's what the logging and burning is generating enormous pollution in. When people talk about growing trees as a counter to that, as a, to, as a balancing thing, the, the forest that you log that generates immediate emissions and that's where the 3% is coming from, takes about 200 years to regrow, to get back to the balance where it was. So to talk about it's balanced, it's carbon neutral, is dishonest. If you're focusing on this problem of this decade, we have to stop those major polluting emissions from logging. We can still let the forest keep growing. We can have it both ways. We will have the growing of carbon, but we must stop the polluting that's being generated by, by logging our state forests. And presumably plantation is a form of reclamation and all reclamation takes time and you can never reproduce any... And it's a crop. It, you can never reproduce the complexity of a forest. Oh, no, the right. It is a crop. And that's what we should... If you're talking about timber supply, um, you know, providing what the humans require in their daily lives, in urban lives, etc., this is another crop. It shouldn't, it shouldn't even be talked in the same breath as natural forest ecosystems, which are so rich, by the way, in carbon compared to a plantation because of that build-up that's happened over you know, millennia we're talking about here. So to be seriously saying that you can balance this dreadful logging and, and polluting that's going on in our wood chipping operations with growing trees, it is frankly dishonest because it takes 200 years to get anywhere near back to the carbon that you wasted with that original operation. And why can't we have both? Just stop the pollution and keep the trees growing. Well, do we have enough plantation resource at the moment to just stop? Well, yes, there's, uh, there's a lot of nonsense talked about that, uh, advertisements of fruit bowls and stuff like that. Our old growth trees are mostly going to, to, to wood chips for paper. 
um, which can certainly come from plantations today. In fact, one of the problems is that our governments are giving it away so cheaply that private enterprise can't compete. Uh, third world countries are being undermined, etc. It, it really is quite foolish because of that narrow vested interest that people who are managing those state forests have, they're really undermining. It's not a level playing field. We're not giving the marketplace a chance um, because the marketplace would get its product from plantations if we just let it get on with it instead of subsidising this wasteful logging that's going on. The last bastion of protectionism in Australia, you reckon? A very good point. Many economists are saying that's exactly what it is, that this is an industry because of, I don't know what it is, it's like uh, some particular priesthood or something from forest colleges that uh, think that this is industry should be treated in some unique, different way, when really it should be open to a broader market supply. Um, so to be, to be using taxpayers' money to undermine the supplies from plantations is really can't be justified. Um, mm. In any other industry, we wouldn't, we wouldn't tolerate it. Now, do you have anyone in there on, um, on the, the... Oh, let me get my thoughts together here. I guess I'm thinking of... Say we stop, uh, we stop um, native forest logging. We've got plantations, but plantations aren't necessarily a good thing. Are there any other forms of, say, working in with um, revegetating farms and growing crops on farms as part of the sort of farm management? Are there any? Do you know if there's any programs like that sort of? Well, going yeah, I, and I think the uh, the carbon farming initiative, for example, a new government initiative, part of their clean energy future announcements, is looking at exactly that. I mean. Those, those plantation supplies can really come from any land tenure and there's no reason why they can't come from plots of plantations on farms of a, a mixed enterprise as another source of income. Um, but I don't think, frankly, uh, the supply is not really the problem. <laughs> Many people are saying there's an oversupply right now. Because we interfere with the market, we're not letting it get on with you know we're not providing the incentives for growing plantations because we're undermining them with this subsidized timber that's uh, still coming out of old native forests that the public owns it's not a very sophisticated understanding that government and unions are applying and it seems to me that the timing's all wrong we've got our tassie agreement before we understand what we're doing and it's a bit of a shame that People haven't grasped the science previously. It's great that there's an opportunity for people to actually come to this forum on Saturday and push not only their own knowledge forward, but the community and government's knowledge forward. We've got Dr Mike Kelly, Senator Rhiannon, and hopefully... Um, oh, Kelly's from is representing Combe's office, isn't he? Well, he's representing... Government and and this the the interesting thing about this is we're really talking about regional Australia when we're talking about wasteful logging operations that are wasting jobs, wasting the public's money, and generating carbon pollution. We're talking about something that's going on in regional Australia. So if we can turn that around with a new vision for Australia, this is where the regional development plans under Simon Crean are involved. So that's one agency that's heavily involved in Tasmania right now, looking at a new vision for a region, instead of destroying its forests, to build a future that's sustainable. And that same vision for regional Australia is of interest to a Rob Oakshot on the north coast of New South Wales, or a Mike Kelly in a marginal Eden Monaro electorate on the south coast. It's applicable, or, or in Gippsland. So we're really looking at Tasmania as a model that's for regional Australia 
It's also a model for the timber industry, but it's much broader than that. Biodiversity. So you've got the Environment Department, Minister Burke involved, uh, using his, the new Biodiversity Fund. Um, you, you've got, of course, the, the Climate Change Agency looking at the carbon accounting side of it. So it's a whole of government that cuts across, and it's an opportunity to stimulate uh, employment and a new vision for regional Australia and the local communities. I mean, it's not just a matter of the people who live in those communities, because the people in the city love those forests, they love those areas. So I think this is something where we can engage the city populations as well as the regional communities and perhaps have more, more harmony and more, more synergy between those two groups. Well, well, you guess, could be uh, the first minister for trees, Mike Thompson. But <laughs> <laughs> well, Cam- Canberra's the perfect example of it. Here's a city. This Canberra is really the regional city for the for the region of Eden Monaro. So those south coasts, those forests, those mountains, uh, they belong to this, to the people of Canberra. And therefore, I think uh, more engagement from the people of Canberra in, in protecting them and, and helping shape the, the future vision for, for this region is something we'd hope to get out of forums like we're having on Saturday. I noticed you've got a bishop coming. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, Bishop Browning. Has he deconsecrated the th- cathedral down in Bermagui yet? The cathedral being um, some beautiful trees that are unfortunately being logged at the moment. Um, and... Yeah, yeah, maybe the bishop should come and give the last rites before Forest New South Wales finishes everything off. Well, Bishop George Browning's fairly well known, of course, here in, in Canberra. Um, and uh, George is a very articulate lobbyist uh, for climate action. Um, uh, I, George and I uh, have some animated conversations and we get along very well. I, I tell him I'm a born-again atheist and can I join his movement? He talks about his people, they're in it to correct to protect God's creation. <laughs> I'm in there as a nature conservationist. So we, we, we work together extremely well. And he has a wonderful uh, story. He talks about what it's all about is protecting the canopy, the canopy of the earth being the atmosphere and the canopy of the forest being this particular focus on, on forest conservation as part of the most cost-effective climate action we could ever take. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something for everyone, isn't there? Who yeah. else have you got? I guess uh, one thing that's going to be part of the conference is sort of a, a national roundup of uh, the state of forestry and uh, and conservation in in Australia. Exactly, and and that's that doesn't happen too often. Um, I've tried to do it on my show, and it's very very <laughs> difficult. <laughs> well, this is the weekend for you, Scott. Hats off to you. <laughs> if you look at uh, if you look at our program, the the key people involved in the negotiations in Tasmania right now are flying to Canberra. For, for on Saturday, so we have we have the the head of Environment Tasmania, who have all the community groups uh, around Tasmania under that umbrella. We have the head negotiators from the Wilderness Society and from the Australian Conservation um, Group are involved in Tassie, and, and their coordinator is talking to us about their approach. So, remember, Tasmania is a city is a state which is really a region, <laughs> and my family are from Tasmania. I spend a couple of months there every year. And forestry pervades everything in Tasmania, whereas forestry is out of sight, out of mind very much in Sydney and Melbourne and Canberra. Whereas, and, and that's what we need to, to change, I think. We need to engage with our natural areas much more in the big cities. And yes, we bring people from Tasmania, we have people from Victoria, people from, from uh, North Coast as well as South Coast. And then you've together. got these national groups like Get Up, you've got Paul Usting. 
Uh, mm, markets for change is a nice group. There's certainly a great diversity of community groups involved now um, using new technologies like GetUp with their online campaigns. Incredible oh, organisation. Oh, this newfangled stuff. <laughs> um, and, and then you've got people working in the marketplace. Um, Markets for Change is a new group where they were involved recently with some controversy with the Harvey Norman, for example, highlighting where the source of their timber was going into their fur- coming from for their furniture. So that's so, that um, 10% that doesn't go into wood chips. It, is it the saw log and... And furniture making. I think ten percent that doesn't go. It's more likely uh, more than ninety percent is going into wood chips yeah, at the moment. That's right. what doesn't get wasted along the way. Yeah. In fact, uh, one of the estimates that came out is that over sixty-five percent of the carbon in a natural forest gets goes into pollution and waste as part of that logging operation. That's an incredible figure. You talk about sustainability and waste. That's just unforgivable and not necessary. But, yeah, it's a broad cross-section of groups. Um, And this regional focus means that we can... National groups are coordinating with state-based conservation councils and then working with regions. Certainly, we hope to be working much more closely with the catchment management authorities at a regional level in the future. And then engaging with the community at a local level. That that local level in community engagement has to be something we do much better in in the future because they're the people who are closest to the forests and it's all the people, including in the cities, that own those forests. So it's the public interest that's, that's at stake here. Um, speaking of public interest, you've got Vanessa Blair going along. Um, she's taking the legal angle, isn't she? Well, we've got some fascinating things going on legally. Um, Vanessa Blair is a, a very successful lawyer in Melbourne who has a commercial practice and her... Her love is forest conservation, so the commercial success she has in one side of her business, she then applies in the other side of the business to help conservationists, and they've had some great success recently in Gippsland in saving old-growth forests with injunctions and winning cases against the state agencies who are supposed to be protecting those forests. But in fact, that's their source of revenue. So, uh, And then we have the Environment Defender's Office taking a key central role in Tasmania. They also have offices here in Canberra, in Sydney, in Melbourne. So the lawyers are becoming a very important partnership with the activists and with the community lobbyists in this. And then you bring in the scientists and the economists. It's a very effective uh, forum of what makes sense. I mean, politicians are always talking about making evidence-based decisions. So really, the morning session for us on Saturday is to put, let's just remind them by putting some facts on the table about honest carbon accounting instead of ignoring the pollution that's coming from our logging and burning for wood, for wood chips. Let's look honestly at the economics. Let's look honestly at the jobs, the real jobs, the sustainable jobs, the future jobs, rather than the dying dinosaur industries. Let's not wait until there's no beautiful old forest left and let this industry go the same way as the whaling station did down at Eden. Let's be proactive and build a future. That's one of the most beautiful parts of the world around Eden. Uh, We should be building a vision for the future that's sustainable and the natural areas around that beautiful area are a key part of that plan. I'm quite glad that it's not all earnest and fact-based, though. I believe there's some fun lined up. You've got Naomi Edwards, who com- was a comedian before she was an economist. Well, we, we can't wow. ever get too serious. economist, eh? <laughs> yeah. Wow. 
And of course, we've got a beautiful acapella choir. Yeah. And the artistry also with with Prue Acton has been developing with art with these magnificent photographers. And that exhibition that's currently on in the foyer gallery at the, at the ANU of the natural forests of our southeastern part of New South Wales. So that'll be a, an integral part of our program. Yes, we we don't. Want, we tend to take ourselves far too seriously. Let's have some music, let's have some laughs, let's have some art. And that's something we introduced last year in Batemans Bay and I think it'll, it'll grow as, as we go on in this program. We would hope that these kind of... This is a national forum because these things need to be embedded in our national policies. And it's the Gillard governments and the climate programs and the national biodiversity, conservation, etc., that have the opportunity to put the right policies in place. But then they have to be implemented at a state level. It's state governments that own and manage state forests. Yeah. And it's local communities. So it's really something that we would see spreading from national policies down into state policies and then, most importantly, this regional community engagement. Right, so what about the, uh, the whole idea of biomass? Uh, I guess, what is it first? And Well, it's taking uh, that carbon that's turned into wood and other byproducts. In, in, in Europe, they even collect the leaves from forests and put into biomass. But fundamentally, it's a bit of a fraud. <laughs> in my opinion, the problem with uh, enabling biomass in Australia is that we don't have any honest carbon accounting of the pollution from the logging operations to start with. If you've got honest carbon accounting, in other words, you have to pay for the pollution you're generating, there's no way biomass is economically viable. Hmm. So in a sense, biomass is a, is a byproduct of not having an honest carbon, carbon accounting and costing system. Once you've got a level playing field, biomass makes no sense. So biomass is the it's the idea that you can sort of make a charcoal out of organic matter of some sort, I guess, be it leaves or wood waste or uh, agricultural waste, and then is this the one that they want to plough into the soil? No, that's a bit bit more complex okay. issue. But again, the carbon accounting is the forest is the fundamental thing. Um, if you do honest carbon accounting and you actually measure how much energy goes in to create something and how much pollution in the form of carbon you lose in that operation, then these very few of these schemes make sense. They are just not cost-effective. They're not economic. But if you distort the system by not costing the pollution that's generated to create them, that's when they can sneak through. So the fundamental thing is to get honest carbon accounting in our forests. Once you've got that, it's just not cost effective to use biomass from those same forests to generate electricity. Mm. And I guess looking sort of more internationally, I guess the, um, the, the, there is a, a scheme set up to sort of form some sort of accounting of, uh, I guess it's uh, sustainability of forests or something. There's the, uh, a stewardship council. Well, you refer to the Forest Stewardship Council, which is a very interesting organisation because it's a partnership between environment groups and industry. Um, and it came about mainly to protect the remnant natural forests that we have uh, around third world countries and, and around our Asian countries and particularly around the Amazon, for example, and African countries. But the Forest Stewardship Council has become very significant now in terms of marketplace. If you don't have that certification of sustainability, then they won't buy products from your forest. And that's one of the pressures that came to bear in Tasmania. 
Uh, that's one of the things, it's not so much government regulation, it's the marketplace regulation where the European says, hey, look, we're not going to take any more of that beautiful old growth forest in Tasmania that you're converting to plantations. We will not accept timber from those areas. And that was the start of the decline in demand and the market pressures in Tasmania. And that's continuing now in other areas. The thing, the new kid on the block of this, of course, is carbon accounting. They're, they've always looked at sustainability in terms of biodiversity conservation, but now carbon has become a central part of the measurement of the, of the high conservation value of the forest, and that's fairly new. And it's those carbon accounting systems through the Europe, through, uh, out of Europe, out of Australia, that are going into the international climate change rules that are being thrashed out for the post-Kyoto period, as they call it. Those same rules are being looked at to be incorporated in this Forest Stewardship Council so that, again, they're looking at the carbon values that are being lost when you log those forests, as well as the biodiversity and the water protection, as well as the Indigenous people's rights, which is a very important part of it in, in many of the countries around the world. So, yeah, and the Forest Stewardship Council only meets once every three years for what they call their, their general assembly. It's a very international bureaucratic thing. But, in fact, at this most recent one, which just finished on the 1st of July, for the first time they brought in carbon accounting as a central part of the measurement of high conservation value forests. So it'll integrate with the international measurement systems. And these are the same carbon accounting systems that are used for the offset programs that are so important for forests and plantations, etc. It's all coming together, but it won't happen overnight. But the principles are there in place now. We know it's stupid to be cutting standing trees. The best carbon impact you can have is just to leave them standing in the ground and let them continue to grow. But uh, those carbon accounting systems are really being integrated across all levels, including with the Forest Stewardship Council and the government programs. Um, Scotty, can I just ask Mike what it's going to cost me to get to this conference, how I register, and, um, yeah, where is it? Well, it's an... Uh, what no, is it? no, you can't. Oh, I can't. Okay. <laughs> Mike, how Thanks. much is it going to cost me to get there? <laughs> no, sorry. Go ahead. Well, it's an unfair advantage. The people in, in Canberra don't have to pay for those interstate airfares to get here, as some of our other visitors do. We've, we've, we've done as best we could. We've got the venue, and we have a $30 fee for the day to come to this all-day forum, and that covers the lunch that's provided, and, and uh, you'll certainly get some very valuable information and hopefully get some valuable and entertaining interchange with people of like mind who you'll find at this forum. Mm, so anybody off the streets welcome to rock up? Absolutely. If people are interested enough about their, their natural environment and climate action that really does have an impact that with co-benefits of looking after our natural environment, then this is the place to be and they'd be extremely welcome. Uh, how do they contact you? They can actually come to the event and pay the $30 on the day. Um, preferably, they could drop me an email. That's mike at nature.net.au, n-a-t-u-r-e dot net dot a-u, mike at nature.net.au, and that will be the registration and just pay on the day and you come along. We start at 9 a.m. You can see a preview of the uh, of the exhibits in terms of the photographic exhibition and then the first speaker and the welcome session starts at 9 30. Sounds good. Yeah. Right now I'm always daunted when I go to the ANU I'm trying to find out where all these rooms and theatres are that things are held. Can you give us a rough idea of whereabouts it is? 
Yes, it's uh, it's about ten minutes walk down the hill, down Garan Road from the uh, the old screen sound or f- film and sound archive, and, and down from the School of Art. So it's it's that beautiful new ultra modern building, which is the uh, the medical research centre, the John Curtin Medical Research Centre, and that's the that's the lecture theatre that we'll be using for the day. Right. In Garan Road. In what Australian number? National University, it's building number one thirty one. If anyone has a map of that area, and you can get uh... great. Anything else either of you would like to add before we wind up? Oh, thank you for having us. Hey, it's been lovely. Good to be here in thanks Canberra. For, thanks for coming. <laughs> Where all the action is and all the big decisions are made. Well, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Watch out, eh? All right. Well, get along to it, and it sounds fantastic. You have been listening to an episode of A Line in the Sound, the podcast made by Co-ops, Commons and Communities Canberra, Co-Canberra for short, the New Economy Network of Australia, or NINA, and Radio Behind the Lines from Community Radio 2XX 98.3 FM in Canberra, Australia. Co-Canberra is working towards a cooperative commonwealth. Our work builds strong communities, extensive commons, and a network of climate cooperatives. The New Economy Network of Australia is a network of individuals and organisations working to transform Australia's economic system so that achieving ecological health and social justice are the foundational principles and the primary objectives of the economic system. Behind the Lines has been running for well over 30 years on Canberra's oldest community radio station, 2XX. We do extended interviews with anyone who's trying to make the world a better place. All three are volunteer-run, so if you like what you heard on this episode, join us and become the media. To join up with the New Economy Network of Australia, sign up at neweconomy.org.au. To help out with Behind the Lines, or to help our editing team finish off a mountain of good Australian New Economy info, which includes editing training, contact us at behindthelines98.3 at gmail.com and see 2XXFM.org.au where you can subscribe, donate and volunteer to Australia's only alternative voice, Community Radio. If you're not in Canberra, there's definitely one near you. To help out with CoCanberra, contact us at info at cocanberra.org.au That's C-O-C-A-N-B-E-R-R-A dot org dot A-U or come along to our monthly meetups, which we share with Nina Canberra Regional Hub, where we explore any and all aspects of the new economy. Find out what we're up to at cocanberra.org.au. And finally, if you want to help fund me, Scotty, to go full-time with this and lots of other related work, look up LiberaPay, L-I-B-E-R-A-P-A-Y, and search for Community Supported Scotty. From there, you can find out about all my other projects and donate to help create a new appropriate economy. Thanks.